Brother Ed, thank you for leading us in songs that remind us of heaven. And Brother Chuck, thank you for that wonderful communion thought uh, that you gave us this morning, centering our hearts and minds on uh, the great sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. We appreciate you, and we appreciate everyone here that makes this church so special. I want to say good morning and welcome to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? I said, what a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. That's better. Uh, we're so thrilled and happy to see you here with us this morning, and we always say this to our visitors. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we want to let you know that you are our honored guest and that you're always welcome to this church building whenever the doors are open, and we truly believe it. Uh, we feel that you've come to the right place because I don't think you'll find a finer church in all of the universe. Amen. 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 That's right. <laughs> So real, real quick, before I even get into the sermon, I've got to brag on a few of our church members here, and they probably already know who they are, but I'm, I'm going to do it uh, because uh, my heart was touched this week in a very, very, very special uh, way. For all of you who actually, I shouldn't say actually listen to the sermon, because I know everybody here is listening to the sermon, amen, but there are many of you who actually, when I give the the practical applications at the end of the sermon, you actually take them and put them into practice, right? So for those of you that do that, kudos to you and thank you for doing that. Um, We had a few of our members that really took our practical application to heart last week and actually put some things into practice. Um, So... Wednesday, I was having one of those just just bad days. You ever had one of those days where it's just terrible, just having a rough time? You know, I didn't get much sleep the night before. I woke up, and I was walking into the bathroom, and I stubbed my pinky toe on the side of the door. Have you ever done that before? Oh, my goodness, right? Woo! <laughs> um, I had trouble with my car. My car wouldn't start, so I had to take it to Midas, and I was stuck at the car place working on my car. Uh, but... Uh, I was just having a rough day on Wednesday, and then I got this awesome card in the mail, and it just simply, simply made my day from a few of our ladies here that I truly admire and appreciate. You know, last week we gave you an application to write a card and to encourage someone or to send them a note and say, we're thinking about you and we appreciate you. So so thank you so, so much to Mary, Gloria, Billy, Dorothy, and Kathy for sending that card. I just had to brag on you just a little bit this morning. I really, really <laughs> appreciate you. So uh, again, thank you for those of you who, who have a vested interest in trying to apply what we learn on Sunday morning uh, to your work week or your calendar or your schedule. I think it's a blessing when you're able to do that. So since we're in the month of October, I thought we'd spend some time uh, talking about the harvest. And I know we're not farmers today, especially down in Southern California, but there's something about this season that still resonates with us, right? We get excited when we start thinking about the harvest time. And my favorite holiday happens really during this time of year. It's, it's Thanksgiving. That's my absolute favorite holiday. You know what you get to do? You get to watch football and eat. I mean, that is just, that's the best, right? I appreciate that. So it's a great holiday and a great time of year, and I'm so excited to be announcing this new sermon series that we're going to cover for the next four weeks entitled, Bringing Heaven to Earth. 
bringing heaven to earth. My daughter, Isabella, every Sunday morning says, Daddy, what are you preaching on today? And this morning I said, Isabella, I'm preaching on bringing heaven to earth. She said, what's that mean, right? What is that about? What do you mean by that? And I was trying to explain it to her in very theological ways, and she said, I, I don't get it. I don't get it, right? So I want to break it down to you real quick, what I mean by bringing heaven to earth. You ever been tired before from work and upset and grumpy? You hadn't slept very well, and then you start dreaming about that Hawaiian vacation that you're going to take. You ever done that before? And you looked at the brochure and you were like, oh, I can't wait till I get to Hawaii or wherever you're going, right? That's kind of what we're thinking of when we talk about bringing heaven to earth. We're basically showing people this amazing permanent vacation or this, this timeshare that can all be theirs if they just reach out and accept Jesus, right? So we're showing people little glimpses of what heaven is like. And I believe we have plenty of opportunities today to show heaven to people because the field, as the scripture says, is ripe for the harvest. And during this sermon series, we're going to be exploring four harvesting principles that are vitally important to the life of a Christian, okay? If you have your Bibles this morning, open up to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and we are going to start reading beginning at verse number 9. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 9. And I would ask that you guys follow along with me. And by the way, if you look in your bulletin this morning, you'll see a sermon note page or outline. Feel free to take that out and follow along with us and fill in some of the principles that are highlighted in red. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse number 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. We all know what this passage of Scripture is, and we've studied, studied it before. We, we, we call this the Lord's prayer in most circles, right? And we even pray it from time to time verbatim. And, and it falls in an interesting section of Scripture. And, and I want to spend some time kind of fleshing out this one concept that Jesus says we should pray about. He says, pray that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, Jesus, if you look at Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 6 to set the context was fresh off of his baptism from John the Baptist, you remember? And then immediately after that, he was taken into the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan. And then after he passed the test of being tempted by Satan, he went into his public ministry and he began to preach and heal people of sicknesses and diseases. And then we find him 
on the north side of the Sea of Galilee on this mountain, giving his famous homily called the Sermon on the Mount, right? And in the Sermon on the Mount, what does he address? He addresses human relationships and the human conditions, right? And he's teaching us new principles on how to interact with each other. And then as he continues on into chapter 6, he says, what holds all this together? What can make this possible? What makes heaven on earth possible is if we're dedicated to prayer and to fasting, right? And then he shows us how to pray And he tells us how fasting is a very important spiritual discipline. And he says to his disciples, look, as followers of the cross, you should constantly be thinking about how God's will could be done here on this earth in the context you find yourselves in. And we ought to be asking ourselves, is God's will being done? It should be our prayer every day that the Lord's will be done on earth. And what is God's will on earth? We talked about that a little bit last week, but God's will on earth is to restore broken systems, to restore brokenness, to draw people to himself. And we get the cool job of being able to lift back the curtain to show people a glimpse of heaven through healing broken systems and brokenness. And that's exciting. Uh, that's awesome to think about. And I hope and pray that all of us would constantly pray this prayer that the Lord's will would be done on earth. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And it's interesting that this is 6, 9 and 10, and it was Matthew 6, 9 and 10. I don't call that coincidence, but here you go. Isaiah says here, he said, the scripture says, he said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing, but never perceiving, make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. If you ever spent time in the Old Testament, you know this passage of Scripture is really talking about Isaiah's call right? The prophet Isaiah was sharing God's word in very difficult times as you look at the context of this passage. Isaiah begins his ministry in the year that King Isaiah died in in Judah, right? During his commission and prophetic ministry, the children of Israel were divided and grossly disobedient to God. And then God says to Isaiah, what I want you to do during this grossly disobedient time frame and these divided people, I want you to go and share a message of hope. And Isaiah is probably thinking to God, what? (laughs) Come on, Lord, right? And he asked this question of God, how do you want me to do this? And how long will culture be like this? You know, and it's funny, many of us find ourselves asking those same questions today, right? Spiritually, I don't think our culture is much different today than what it was back then. Of course, we're not doing all the weird animal stuff, right? But our culture today is divided and grossly disobedient to God. If you don't believe me, turn on the news, amen, right? 
watch CNN and then flip over to Fox and you go, what is going on, right? Right? You guys do that, don't you? What is going on? We're so divided and we're so disobedient to God today. And many of us are asking that question, how long is it going to be like this and what do we need to do, right? So we find ourselves in a very similar context. How long is it going to be like this and what are we to do? And I think the only thing we can do during this season is to go back to the Bible and be reminded about what Jesus said and taught concerning the hearts of people. And what he says is that basically there are four different types of hearts that you'll encounter today or four different types of soil. So on your sermon outline, we ask a question, right? What are the types of soil or what are the type of hearts that you're going to encounter as you attempt to bring heaven to earth and to show people a glimpse of God's glory. Well, I'm going to tell you the different type of people that we'll encounter. First of all, we encounter the hard soil or irreligious people, right? And Mary and I, we've come back. We've been in California now since 2005, so we've been back here 11 years. And it's amazing to me uh, that over the course of 11 years, I've met more and more non-religious people here in California. It seems like the number is increasing in, in, in my circle. But uh, hard soil are irreligious people or people that believe they have no need for God. They, they don't have any church experience, right? And I'm finding it's very interesting that you might meet people today that simply don't have any kind of church experience. They didn't grow up in church. They don't know what it's about. They don't know what it's like. And we encounter people like this from time to time. And uh, I'm currently meeting in a small group Bible study uh, that, at Starbucks in Ladera Ranch that is Christians and atheists. Don't ask me why I'm in this study, but I'm just there, right? Knowing that you're not going to win over the atheists for the most part, unless it's done by a miracle from God, but we're just there and we're talking, right? And what I'm finding is that many of these atheists are people that are just, just upset, right? And angry with God and upset about the Christian message in the world, right? And what I found is that uh, culturally, we're watching a, a, a religious shift happen right before our eyes, where people don't really hear about God too much. You guys remember this Morgan Freeman interview not too long ago? I want to read the transcript. Have you guys seen that interview by Morgan Freeman? Didn't he play a movie where he was supposed to be God, right? I think something went to his head, and he really started believing he was God, right? So I'm, I'm going to read this, uh, this transcript. Morgan Freeman had a, a um, and he grew up in the Bible Belt. He's from, like, Georgia or something. But let me tell you what happened with Morgan Freeman. He was in this interview, and this interviewer asked him this. Uh, Morgan, do you think there is a God? And Morgan Freeman says, do I think there's a God? Hmm. And he pauses, and then he says, yeah, yeah. And the reporter said, well, Morgan, you just paused. And Morgan Freeman said, yeah, I paused because I am God. I watched that interview. I said, what is wrong with this man? He lost his marbles, right? Um, he said, because I am God. And then the reporter said, you mean, you mean to say because all of us are made in the image of God, right? Right? And Morgan Freeman said, no, God was created in my image. Can you believe that? Go on the internet and look it up. I'm not lying. Go check it out, right? Your, your mouth would be wide open like mine was, right? 
He believes that man created the concept of God. And I tell you what, I'm meeting more and more young people who are starting to believe in this same kind of philosophy and theology that we created the concept of God. And as I hang out with my atheist buddies in my Christian Bible study, (laughs) that's what they say, right? And what we need to realize is that for the most part, whenever we're trying to bring heaven to earth, we'll encounter people that are irreligious and, and, and don't have any room for God. And a lot of times we're just wasting our time because the scripture says some people just won't, they won't repent, they won't turn to the Lord. So that's one kind of heart or people that you'll encounter today. The second is the rocky soil, the rocky soil. What does this mean? Well, this, and you know what we're looking at. We're looking at the parable of the sower. I didn't want you to open your scripture and start exegeting the whole thing. You guys know where we are. You've heard these, these statements and these principles before, thinking about the harvest. We encounter rocky soil or people who are shallow emotional receivers of the truth of the gospel. This person typically hears about Christ and, and the message connects with them on a very emotional level. And as soon, and I've seen, this, I've seen this countless times where people are having a rough go in life and they come to church and they hear something and they say, yes, I want to get baptized today, I want to give my life to the Lord, right? And they come and we baptize them and then they're here in church one, two Sundays and then they start to fall off. And as soon as they become members of the church and they witness some hypocrisy, or some troubling situation, they leave and blame their loss of faith on other people because they had a bad church experience. So can you guys do me a favor? I want you to raise your hand. Have you ever had a bad church experience before? Raise your hand. Okay, put them down. Why are you still here? And some of y'all didn't raise your hand, so I'm surprised. Wow, it's just been peaches and cream the entire time, right? But for those of us who've been in the church long enough, you can honestly raise your hand and say, I've had some bad church experiences, right? But you're still here because you didn't let that bad experience shape your understanding of God and the nature of the church, right? You didn't let that one incident destroy your faith, right? Because you love God and you realize, guess what? That people are people. Christians are saved sinners just trying to do their best, amen? So you realize that during the season of that, that bad church experience, and you said, I'm not going to let that shape me. I'm not going to let that bother me. I'm still going to be connected to Jesus, and that's why you're here. I heard of a guy who wanted to place membership at a church, right? Uh, and he had a girlfriend. They were, they were kind of girlfriend and boyfriend. And with this girlfriend, uh, he had two children, right? Uh, but they wanted to come to church. So they would come to church every Sunday and come and listen to the message. And this guy had been baptized before, right? And they came to church and came to church. And then eventually this guy said, hey, I want to place membership at this church, right? And another church leader said to this couple or to these people, Unless you get married, you're not placing membership at this church. You're not allowed to, right? This person eventually left the church and left his faith altogether, right? And on one side, we can say, shame on that church member. You shouldn't have been so rough. But oftentimes, we have to go, shame on that person, because you ought to be stronger than that, right? You've got to be tougher than that if you're going to be in the church. You can't let people discourage you, right? You've got to remain strong. So sometimes we encounter people like this who, 
have a tough go. And it's like rocky soil. And then we come to the thorny soil, which I see a lot. Thorny soil is, is what we encounter a lot down in this region. People are unproductive. And the reason why they're so unproductive is because they're so busy. Meaning they come to faith in Jesus Christ, they hear the word, but then they become unproductive because they're so busy. I see a lot of people like this in, in the church. They love the Lord and are even faithful churchgoers and they've had a good church experience and all that good stuff, but that's it. And when it comes to their faith, they're focused on themselves. They're focused on their own individual spirituality and how much they're learning. They're focused on their, their own personal sanctification and holiness. And they even use words like this, Jesus is my personal Savior. I can't stand that word. I get it, I get it, but Jesus is everybody's Savior, right? But we say he's my personal Savior. I get, I get the theology, it's just me. I'm bothered by that, okay? Because we make it all about us. Jesus is for me and it's what I'm doing, but Jesus is everybody's Savior. And I don't think there's anything wrong with focusing on our personal holiness and sanctification, but that's a very elementary phase in our Christian journey, right? We've got to get beyond that, and we've got to learn to get outside of ourselves to show other people a glimpse of glory in heaven. One of the problems with the church in the West, the American church in the West today, is we're so concerned about our own personal sanctification and holiness that we forget there's a world outside of what we're doing here that needs the gospel. I heard a guy, a guy he, was, uh, he was praying to God, and he said, Dear God, so far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my timber. I haven't been grumpy, nasty, or selfish. And I'm really pleased about that. But in a few moments, God, I'm going to need to get out of bed and from then on, <laughs> I'm probably going to need a lot of help from you. In Jesus' name, amen, right? <laughs> you know, when we focus on ourselves and our own personal sanctification and holiness and our own faith, it's easy. But when we start getting into the lives of people and connected to people, it can get messy from time to time. But that's what we're called to do, be in the lives of people. And if we're a church that is not doing that, we ought to do that. But guess what? I, I know our stories around this church. I go on visitations with Chuck on Thursday, and I've got to visit with a bunch of you on, on Thursday nights. And I love your stories. They're awesome, how you're in the lives of people. And then lastly, I want to leave on this. Then we encounter another type of soil today. So it's the hard soil, rocky soil, thorny, and then we encounter good soil. And as I look across our auditorium today, I know a lot of people here that are just just on fire for the Lord. What it means to be good soil is that you're reproductive and you impact the lives of others. These are followers of Jesus who are receptive to church and are revealers of heaven to other people. They love the Lord so much that they have to tell someone about how he's been good to them. They're not concerned about the culture being post-Christian. They believe that the gospel still has the answer to the world's problems. Uh, they won't get discouraged if people uh, are not receptive to the message. And if you think about it, uh, if you look at the parable of the sower, the farmer only had a 25% success rate, right? 
And it tells me that wide is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to salvation. However, the farmer was always optimistic when it came to sharing the gospel, right? Because what I hear today, and which I believe is so true, we're now living in a post-Christian culture. I believe that. But guess what? That's not going to stop me from sharing the gospel. We got to recreate, we got to reinvent new ways to communicate the message, not just say, hopefully one day the pendulum will swing back, right? <laughs> We're going to keep doing what we do, and eventually they're going to come back, right? No, <laughs> no. We've got to go out there. We've got to use our intelligence, right, our skill set and our ability to reach people. And right now, the world needs to hear a message because we're living in tough times in America. And the church has to be involved in these social issues. We've got to have a, a voice. We've got to speak to them what I believe. I have a friend, uh, and I want to end with a story, uh, named Alvin, who grew up in South Central Los Angeles. Um, and every day when he was a young boy, he would come home from school, and his mother wasn't there. That's because his mom was out selling her body for drugs. This is my friend Alvin, right? So every day he would come home, mama wasn't there, he would have to feed himself, take care of himself. He would get out of school about 3 o'clock, mom wouldn't get home until 8 sometimes. Be there by himself about 9 years old. And when mama would get home, she would be high on heroin and crack cocaine and she would beat Alvin. And then fall asleep after taking her drugs. As a young boy, Alvin didn't know how to process this. So, you know, he began to be a very bitter and angry young man. And what he started to do was he started to be upset with God because he gave him a mother like that. And he would pray and he would say, God, why, why am I in this situation? Why would you allow me to, to be in this situation, right? And as he got older and older, he started mimicking some of the bad examples that he saw in so much that eventually he was put into prince, uh, prison and he was institutionalized, right? Living life as a thief and as a robber and drug dealer, and he found himself in prison. But Alvin had a great, great turning point in his life. He said he was in prison, and they had this program. And I don't know if he was in prison at the time or jail, but they had this program where they would allow Church of Christ preachers to come in and give a service, right? And he said he was there, and one of these Church of Christ preachers came in, was preaching the gospel, and he heard the gospel, and he heard about Jesus and how Jesus came to restore broken systems. He said it wasn't really about the miracles Jesus did that really resonated with me. It, it, what resonated with me was how Jesus had the power to change broken systems in the world. And he said that's what really made me want to become a Christian, because Jesus could help me get off of drugs, Jesus could help my mother and I, our relationship. He can help the broken relationships, right? And eventually, Alvin was baptized into Christ, added to the church. And now today, he is a faithful preacher in a church in Los Angeles, bringing many more people to Jesus. And I love that story. That's the good soil. So that's why we can't stop sharing the gospel, especially with people who are living in brokenness, because you never know never know what will happen. So as we close this morning, 
uh, I want to leave you with this last verse. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 says this, and this is a passage that I keep with me often. I have to remind myself of often as a preacher, right? It says this, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. And I think we might be in a season here now where the gospel in America is just out of season. But the scripture says we got to stick with it, though. Got to keep preaching the truth. Got to keep being an example. Got to keep revealing heaven to other people. So as we close this morning, we've got a uh, question at the end of your outline. It says, great sermon, now what? So I want to give you some practical application this week on how to bring heaven to other people, how to show people heaven this week, okay? This was tough. I had to really process this, and I was talking to my girls, and they helped me with a couple of ideas and thoughts, and it's really neat. So um, here you go. How do you bring heaven to people this week? How do they see a glimpse of heaven in your life today? Uh, here's one that uh, I, I think uh, will, will put us in a good place. Husbands, wives, I'm going to give you something you can do this week. Husbands, wives, when you're out in public, hold each other's hand. I can't believe I'm saying this, right? Hold each other's hand. And I'm looking at my wife and she's laughing, right? I can't stand holding hands in public, right? I don't know why. PDA just gets under my skin, right? Right? So Mary and I will be walking, we're having our date day, she'll slide her hand over and do not this kind, but this kind, right? You know, and then she wants to swing with it, and I'm like, (laughs) But what's funny is every time I hold Mary's hand in public, some, some senior couple, somebody will come up and say, oh, that's so sweet, right? Why? Because they see a glimpse of love right in front of them. Husband and wife, they see that glimpse, that that special moment, right? So I would encourage you husbands, when you take your wife out for lunch or dinner or date, hold her hand and walk with her, right? And wives, hold your husband's hand out in the open and let people see that. And they go, oh, that is sweet, okay? So that's one. Husbands, wives, there you go. That's yours. So let me transition. If you're not married, okay? If you're not married, here's something else that you can do. On the count of three, I want you to say the word peace. Can you do that? One, two, three, peace. Don't you love that word? There's something about saying that word that makes us feel so good. I think one of the ways that we show people a glimpse of heaven is when they see our love for each other and our family relationships. I think another way that we get to show people a glimpse of heaven is if we live in peace, right? If we live in peace. I asked Mary to help me. I said, Mary, when you think about heaven, what do you think about? She said, I think about peace. I think about no stress. I think about no worry. And that's what the world needs to see from us if we're going to show them what heaven looks like. They need to see peace from us. So this week, I want you to say verbally, When you're in that moment where your kids are getting on your nerves, working your nerves, right? Or that coworker just keeps poking at you and you're like, I'm going to, right? Or your family or friends are just getting under your skin and that person cuts you off in traffic. What I want you to say this week, when those situations happen, I want you to say this, I choose 
to live in peace. Will you say that this week when that situation arises? And, and, and it will. I want you to say to yourself, I choose to live in peace. <laughs> I choose to live in peace. And if you can do that, I guarantee you that it'll bless your life. Lastly, here's, here's something else, and I wanted to leave you with this. I asked Alayla, and I'm talking about my kids a lot because I love their, their answers concerning heaven, right? I said, Layla, what do you think about when you think about heaven? She said, I think about safety, right? There's something about safety, something about safety that makes us feel so, so good. Something about safety, right? Safety. If we can show people safety or we are in a safe place, if we can illustrate that concept of safety to other people, I think they'll get to see a glimpse of heaven. And I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe you have a neighbor that is going on vacation and you know they're headed out of town and you say, hey, to them, hey, I'm going to make sure I check out your place and lock it up and make sure it's all taken care of. People really appreciate that, right? Or if you see the kids after school crossing the street, right? When you go over to La Paz and you pick up your middle schooler and there's 20,000 kids running across the street. Parents appreciate when you get out of the car and you kind of help with the traffic a little bit to keep the babies safe. There's something about safety that makes us feel so good and it helps us to see a little glimpse of heaven. So I don't know what that looks like for you this week, but if there's some way that you can illustrate some kind of safety to somebody or show that you care for them in that way, I think you'll go a long way to showing them a glimpse of glory in heaven. So that's the sermon this morning. I hope and pray that you would take some of these principles and apply them so that people can see heaven and get to see a glimpse of it through your efforts this week. So by way of invitation, we have a song selected. Uh, during that time, Brother Ed will come up and lead us in a song. And if there is anyone here who needs to respond to the message, we would invite you to come forward. Maybe you heard a little bit about heaven. You know what else when you think about heaven? Look at baby Kingston, right? Right? Am I right about it? Something about looking at the babies. It reminds us of heaven as well. I was thinking about that as I was looking over there. If you need to respond to the message this morning, we give you the opportunity. Maybe you heard a glimpse of heaven today, and you, 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 you aren't a Christian, and you want to go to that place. You have the opportunity. You need to repent of your sins, be baptized into Christ, be added to the church, and be well on your way to enjoying the promised land. This morning, maybe you are a Christian, and you haven't been living out your obligation and duties. Maybe people haven't been seeing heaven in you. Maybe they've been seeing... Anyway, maybe people haven't been seeing heaven in you, and they need to start seeing it in you. You can respond to the message today as well. Whatever your needs or concerns are, won't you come together while we stand and sing the song of invitation. There's a fountain free, tis for you and me. Let us haste, oh haste to 